I'm going to think back to a few experiences I had while living in Hawaii. Um, first one, I had been teaching there in Pahala. I got hired in uh, January of 2002, I think it was, and uh, taught that spring. And uh, then the next fall, went back as an industrial arts teacher. And over the summer, we got a new principal. I met him two days before school started when I reported to campus and uh, knew it was going to be a rocky year from my few inter first interactions with him uh, to the point when I left campus on Friday afternoon going into the long Labor Day weekend. I got to the highway and uh, should have gone north to Kona and I got to thinking, no, I'm, I need to de-stress a little bit. I turned and went down to Volcano National Park. I uh, got there a little before dusk, drove down past the Kilauea Volcano, or crater, to where the, what they were at the time calling the Mother's Day vent was still flowing. And I timed it beautifully that night. As I got there, the lava flow had just crested one of the big cliffs going down onto the plateau leading down to the ocean. So I sat there for about three hours watching this lava as like a waterfall coming over the cliff and uh, just trying to de-stress and think. And uh, one of the thoughts that popped in my mind and took my mind off what uh, I was anticipating was going to be a very difficult year was that if God is still creating new earth, then what's his plans for me? Uh, and that thought kicked around in my mind throughout that year uh, and actually culminated. I gave this uh, lesson in Kona uh, probably in early 2004. And it came back to me then a couple of years later in about 2008, the church had a uh, group come out from Abilene Christian University and do some work with us. And the last weekend they were there, uh, we took them again down to Volcano. Uh, except this time, uh, the lava had changed. It was actually flowing in the park. It had moved out of the park into the Puna district and was actually, you could get down to the ocean and watch it into the ocean there. And as we're sitting there that evening watching the lava flow into the ocean and again erupting steam and uh, throwing the, the stuff back up when it, it contracts and everything, uh, again, the thought came to my mind that if God still is forming the earth, what's his plans for me? So as I, I tried to research this question in the Bible, I realized that pretty much every Bible story could be applied to this question. Uh, from Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, to Peter's writings in, the, in uh, the book of Revelations, or John's writing in the book of Revelations. Uh, since we don't want to be here till midnight, uh, I figured I'd better pick a couple of them to make my point. Uh, first one, I thought we'd go to Exodus. Uh, Moses has been introduced to us. He was raised in Pharaoh's household after actions his mother took to protect him from edict by the Pharaoh. Uh, he grows up as a member of Pharaoh's household, 
at a young age, well, not so young, they figure he was about 40, uh, he starts to make connections with his Israelite, his, his Israeli relatives, uh, his heritage, and culminates in murdering a Egyptian, hiding the body, and then being discovered by other Jews about what happened. So he flees the country. Spends another 40 years in Midianite, where he married uh, and started a family. We all know the story. He is out tending the flocks and sees a bush that's on fire but not being consumed and receives a message from God. Uh, the message basically says, you need to go back to Israel and uh, initially just bring my people out into the wilderness so they can worship me. Uh, he throws up all sorts of obstacles to convince God that he's not the man for the job. And uh, God basically says, listen to me, and for help, I will give you the help of your brother Aaron. So, despite talking for three minutes about Moses, we're going to look at Aaron. Uh, in Exodus uh, 4, Starting in verse 18, or in verse 14, God tells Moses that he will give him Aaron as his spokesperson. And at that point, that's the first information we have about Aaron. A few assumptions we can probably make is we know that Moses' sister was brought into the household of Pharaoh to care for Moses. So there's a possibility that Aaron might have had some type of a government function, but, but we really don't know. Um, they give absolutely no background. Just that Aaron will meet you as you come into Egypt, and he will speak to Pharaoh on your behalf. The other thing we know is Moses and Aaron were both of the tribe of Levite. They were Levites. At that point, that is just a heritage identification. Um, the law had not been given. Uh, the royal religious priesthood had not been established. Um, Levi being the oldest of the children of Jacob. They may have been considered elders by the Jewish people there in, in, in Egypt, but again, we don't know. This is all just assumption. So we see Aaron has met up with Moses as he returns to Egypt. He's with Moses throughout those plagues, speaking and negotiating with Pharaoh, and then helps Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. We see references throughout Exodus of him being there as an advisor of Moses. I always have found it interesting that even though God told Moses Aaron would be there to act as a mouthpiece, we quickly see that he becomes secondary to Moses, which is as it probably should have been. And Moses does most of the speaking and negotiating before Pharaoh. But Aaron goes out with them, and eventually when the 
laws given there at uh, Mount Sinai, and the Levite priesthood is created, Moses is put in charge of that priesthood. So basically, God's plan here was to take what we can assume was a simple man. Uh, He might have had some administrative experience if he was in fact a part of uh, Pharaoh's government to a leader, secondary leader of a nation, and then eventually their religious leader. And I'm sure uh, as they established the rites, the traditions, the requirements of the religious worship for them, that most of that came through Aaron and his communication with God. Let's leave Aaron now and, and, and jump up into the New Testament. We're going to look at another man here. This man started in a position of power. He was, first of all, a Roman citizen. His father was identified as a Roman from the city of Tarsus. His mother was of Jewish descent. He was well-educated. I'm not going to be able to remember the man's name or pronounce it correctly, but he was studied as a lawyer, the equivalent of, under Gamaliel, I think the name is, and held a position of influence, if not actually a member of the Sanhedrin. And of course, we're talking about Saul of Tarsus, who later became known as Paul. As a Roman citizen, Paul had certain rights that were not available to others. Uh, one of these was he could only be tried by a Jewish, by, by, oh, excuse me, by a Roman court um, as a Jew, he had certain rights and things available to him that weren't available to the Gentiles, access to the tabernacle and so forth. And it's obvious from reading that both communities held him in high esteem. Looking at his background, I've been looking for years, and uh, I know I found it once and didn't think to write it down. Uh, at one point in his writings, Paul refers to his, his previous life as being considered the Jew of Jews. And a side note, I've always found that interesting, his progression from being considered the Jew of Jews. He later refers to himself as the least of the apostles, and then in his final writings, he is the center of sinners. Just, I've always found that a, an interesting progression in the way a person views himself. So Paul, or Saul at this time, has taken upon himself, he feels that it is his calling to stamp out this new Jewish sect that has popped up. Uh, he has become very effective of this in Jerusalem, uh, in persecuting the members of the sect that believe in this man, Jesus Christ, has become so effective to the point that the followers are leaving Jerusalem to other areas. And Saul takes upon himself to go to Damascus, which is the next largest city to the north, 
and persecute the Christians there. And as him and his group are traveling north, they stop at the town, and uh, Paul gets a vision of and a message from Jesus and God, telling him, or first asking him why he is doing what he's doing, and then pointing out that he needs to change his ways. We all know what happened. He uh, went on up, studied for a while with Barnabas, and became considered one of the apostles. And uh, again, it's interesting that the majority of the New Testament is attributed to the writings of, of Paul. And again, on a side note, I've always found it also interesting that one, not many people, I think, think about the courage of the first century Christians who first met with Saul. I mean, this is a man that they left Jerusalem because of, yet I've heard anywhere from three years to 15 years later, as they are meeting, they are inviting this man into fellowship with them. So the faith that these people had is, I still think, just unbelievable. So Paul went from what was perceived to be a very powerful position into what was initially appeared to be an outcast from his culture on to a prisoner of Rome. Spiritually, he went from being a faithful, strong follower of the old law to the guide and teacher of the new law. To both the first century Christians and then on through the ages to us today. One would think that with the knowledge and the obvious esteem he was held by the first century Christians, he would feel very important. But again, uh, okay, he went from calling himself the Jew of Jews to the, in Ephesians 3.9, calling himself the least of all God's people. It appears that the more he learned, the more he understood how unworthy he was of God's love and the gift that he had been given. Now let's look at another one of Jesus' apostles. And I've been trying to think, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon that talked about Judas. You might think he's a strange choice to pick, but stick with me. Again, like most of the apostles, there's not a lot of information, information about Judas. Uh, as an apostle, it is believed he was kind of the treasurer, the one who handled the finances. Uh, then during the Last Supper, he was identified as the one who will betray Jesus. Later that night, he does betray Jesus, and then sometimes the next day he committed suicide. But let's evaluate his actions. Uh, again, I don't think I've ever heard anybody really think about what his actions were. It's just he betrayed Jesus for the money. 
And again, looking at the actions of some of the other apostles upon Jesus' arrest, I think they all had an expectation that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom of David back on earth. Um, and I think Judas was just like them. I think the motivation for his betrayal was, as a John Bartle with the Wilderness Series said, he was trying to birth an Ishmael. I, I think his thoughts were, if I get Jesus arrested, it's going to force him and force his followers into an uprising. We're going to throw the Romans out of Palestine, and the kingdom of Israel will come into existence just like it was under David. I also think, based on his actions, he was probably the first one of the apostles to realize that what they were expecting and hoping for wasn't correct. And I think it's that remorse that he had so misunderstood what he'd been being taught that led to his suicide. I'm not condoning what he did. Um, it was prophesied that one of Jesus' followers would betray him. Never identified which one. Uh, basically, I think the weakest would be the one to betray him, the one that the devil could most easily get into their thought process. Uh, prophecy identifies the amount that would be the betrayal, the 30 pieces of silver, and that the outcome would be that the silver would be spilled upon a potter's field. And the prophecy did come true. It was 30 pieces of silver that they negotiated with the Sanhedrin. And when Judas returned the money to the Sanhedrin, they used that money to purchase a potter's field to bury people in. Judas being the first one buried there. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight and the later instructions of the other apostles to understand what he had done. Without his actions, Jesus wouldn't have been arrested. He wouldn't have been tried. He wouldn't have been found innocent and still condemned. He wouldn't have been put to death. He wouldn't have been raised from the dead. If none of this had happened... Jesus wouldn't have been able to shed his blood and cleanse us. And we would have no hope. As I said, I'm not condoning what Jesus did. And the idea of betrayal is against everything we've been taught. Remember, it was part of God's plan. And that plan of salvation for us. So trying to focus on what the end result was of that act. So in conclusion, all three of these men had a definite plan. Aaron grew up a simple Hebrew whose early life we don't know much about and advanced into being the chief priest for a whole nation. Paul went from a position of influence and power to a simple man, a simple Roman prisoner. But despite this 
apparent fall in a worldly view, he became a teacher and guide, not just to a single nation, but to all mankind. Yet, as he became more knowledgeable, he became even more humble. Then Judas, even though he is perceived as this terrible person, who was a simple tool of the Lord, which the Lord used to fulfill his plan of salvation. So the exact answer to my first question, what does God have planned for me, is I don't know. Uh, that whatever it is he has in mind for us, I know it will be in, us, in our best interest. He may take us from a position of power to a perceived downfall, or elevate us from nothing to something. Or he may use us in a way that is totally opposite of what we expect. But whatever those plans are, we need to be prepared to accept them and always follow, strive to follow God's plan. Finally, we may not know what God's plan for us on a day-to-day -day basis is. But I know his overall plan is that every one of us accept his plan of salvation. That Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was raised from the dead. And because of these three actions, we can have eternal life. Thank you.